Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Mark. And I'm Pastor Zach. And today we are jumping into a topic that uh, is hopefully going to be edifying. It is certainly a controversial topic, and uh, maybe a a topic that is more controversial than it needs to be, um, because we're going to be talking about church music. Uh, We've done an episode already on uh, worship, and uh, we're going to be thinking more particularly about the musical portion of the worship service during this episode. And uh, just as I said, hopefully this is an edifying conversation that uh, we can have that will bless you. And so uh, yeah, maybe we can even just start by saying thanks for joining us and for uh, clicking the link when mm-hmm. you saw we'll be talking about church music. Hopefully we have um, some things to say that will be helpful for your understanding on the topic. Yeah, this is definitely an episode of Pastor's Thoughts on Church Music, <laughs> not on Musical Experts' Thoughts on Church Music. <laughs> so that that needs to be said right from the very beginning. Uh, a lot of this is just sort of our, I don't know, provisional thoughts, thoughts that we've, we sort of have from time to time when it comes to music in the church um, and what makes music good, what makes it uh, edifying, uh, what what kinds of music are most fitting? Is that even a question that can be asked? Yeah. All these sorts of things that we as pastors think about. Uh, while we're not musicians, Mark, nor I, uh, as far as I know, I don't know, I'm Mark, not, have you ever played no, any mu- any no. instruments or I anything? I wish, I wish. Okay, <laughs> I, I've been in choirs ever since kindergarten all the way through high school, but that was a long time ago now. I like to think that that has given me some sort of musical sensibility, but I still can't read music, even though I was in choir for 13 years of my life. Um, I could, I could kind of see like if I'm reading sheet music, I can sort of tell some of the things that are going on. I know when there's going to be a rest (laughs) and I know when, yeah, when the notes are going up and, uh, certain things like that, but it is not, I can't read it the way I can read English, for example. Um, but we do have theological thoughts and we have thoughts, I think about how music impacts people. Um, and and what mu- music is for mm-hmm. and how music should be conducted. Um, and even though we're not worship leaders ourselves in the musical sense, we are worship leaders. And we do see it as our job, especially Mark's job, in sort of uh, leading worship mm-hmm. on a Sunday morning. Uh, as yeah, kind of curating the service. Of curating it, yeah. yeah. Thinking how we want the service to go, what, which songs will will fit well and will be edifying to the people in which songs maybe won't be mm-hmm. or won't fit as well. So yeah. yeah, well, and maybe even before we get into it too, it's helpful to, to recognize our age and <laughs> that both of us are kind of products of the era known as the worship wars. Yeah, definitely. So I grew up in a church that was very contemporary. We would not... Mm-hmm. Well, we would have sung hymns at first, but then um, a young minister came in with really um, the desire to modernize and um, Mm. 
add a lot of contemporary elements to the worship service, mostly through the music. So um, pretty much after my late elementary years into middle school, high school, we would only sing contemporary praise choruses. <laughs> and so uh, the worship wars weren't really much of a thing at my church because it was just understood, mm-hmm. we're going to sing the songs that Willow Creek sings. Yeah, that's how my my church growing up was. I went to a Baptist church until I was about 15 or 16. And it was the worship wars weren't really wars at that point for mm-hmm. us. It had already been won. It was gonna, going to be contemporary music. Mm-hmm. So I can remember the full band, drums, guitar, bass, uh, multiple singers. And it was pretty boisterous, I would say. It wasn't uh, all over the place. It was well done. Mm-hmm. And then when I, in high school, switched churches to where my friends were all going, that was a little bit more mixed, I would say. Um, it would have contemporary Usually it was softer than my previous church. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots more of acoustic guitars than electric guitars. Uh, but then there would also be uh, piano and the organ being used for more of a quote-unquote traditional mm-hmm. sound of music. So there I became more familiar with the worship wars, although I think that they had a pretty settled opinion that they were just going to do both, which is where many churches today have landed. Yeah, that's pretty much where we are here at Almond Valley, yeah. that we have a blended worship service. Um, mm-hmm. One week we might have vast majority hymns with an organ. The next week we might have vast majority praise songs with a praise team, uh, mm-hmm. guitars and uh, what is called a cajon. It's like a, a, a box for used for percussion. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so we are more of the mixed variety, probably leaning more towards hymns. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the questions we have in our notes here that is uh, kind of a facetious question, but I think that it helps frame the conversation, is what genre will the saints be employing around the throne of um, the God uh, the, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Uh, and and obviously it's facetious because that won't really matter as much um, because what matters is the presence of God and um the words of the song, which give glory and honor and praise to the lamb who was slain. So part of the reason that I asked that question, though, is that many listeners of of our podcast or uh, certainly many members of our church and, and people in our culture would kind of assume that uh, it'll it'll be Handel's Messiah, you know, up, <laughs> up there in, in heaven. Um Maybe they well, wouldn't. Duh, what else could it be? Maybe they wouldn't admit it. Well, hey, the words are right. We already got the words, and yeah. and um, well, yeah, they're in English, and so may the whole every uh, tribe and language and tongue. I guess they'll learn English uh, when we're all in. No, it's like I, I don't think that maybe people actually think that. However, yeah. that really does shape our understanding of what heaven will be like. It's a yeah. We we have to confess to a very Eurocentric. Um, understanding of worship mm-hmm. and uh, even thinking about heaven and thinking that it must be Handel's Messiah sung in English um, is a cripplingly Eurocentric attitude to have about worship, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do love Handel's Messiah. I'm not necessarily bashing it at all. My favorite number of Handel's Messiah is the final two songs, Worthy is the Lamb and the Amen. Um, but... Certainly, we need to have probably a broader view of music um, Mm -hmm. and uh, be careful about calling our experience normative. 
the experience of, to be quite honest, the white church, uh, Euro, European churches. Um, mm-hmm. We need to be careful, I think, to say that this is how music should be done. Um, I would be particularly challenging to those who love the regulative principle who worship in an essentially Eurocentric way. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the challenges that I would have for such a person who is so convinced that they're doing worship just like the Bible says to, because they're really all about the regulative principle for worship, to read Psalm 150. Mm-hmm. And that talks about dancing mm-hmm. and and tambourines mm-hmm. and all these stringed instruments. Mm-hmm. And so, honestly, they probably need to be a little bit more honest that it is a Eurocentric interpretation of the regulative principle, um, yeah. more so than it is just coming straight from God's word, man. And, and even if you're singing exclusive psalmody, yeah. you're often using tunes that derive from a more European sure. provenance, um, often a more Anglo provenance as well, with Scottish and, and English sort of tunes that you're that you're using for especially for metrical psalms, um, and so yeah, the, even there it will still sound very much European or Anglo-centric. Yeah, um, and, and it, so, this isn't to bash those worship styles, but this is no, to say not. we should be careful about saying we're worshiping biblically <laughs> when so is an African church and so is an Asian church and so is a Latin church and. Uh, mm-hmm. So is a Middle Eastern church, and 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 it will sound different musically. Yeah, um, not just the, language, but not the music. not just the language, but the musical style will be different. And mm-hmm. um, our style is not the right one, yeah. uh, necessarily. Um, so, anyways, that that's maybe a way of uh, kind of putting a disclaimer a little bit on this is that we we do kind of admit to obviously approaching it from the more Eurocentric ap- sure. uh, approach. Um, that's kind of what we were raised in, and and that's okay. Um, and and we're not sort of saying that ours is the only experience to have, but we're recognizing that it's a maybe a more narrow or limited experience in terms of world music for yeah. that's used in worship. Yeah. So I don't know where we want to go even from here. There's a lot of different angles we could <laughs> take this, a lot of different um, avenues we could go down, and maybe we will go down as the episode unfolds, but. Some th- some thought that comes to mind for me, and when I start to think of church music, is how did we get to where we are now? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to think of history of things, um, and trying to explain the present, I have to look at the past. And so, a question that comes up to me when I think about where the church is right now, uh, if you could say the church is anywhere, because there's lots of variation about how music should be done in the churches, especially in the English-speaking world. Mm. Yeah. Uh, there's a big, big debate, obviously, that's still ongoing about what music should look like. So how have we gotten to where we are now? What are some of the, what what has sort of been the story of, of we could, if we're looking at our own tradition, Western church music, uh, and how has it uh, really split off into many different forms and many different ways of approaching music? Uh, one One thing that you could start out saying is that uh, if we're going to do any sort of history, we can go back to, all the way to the days of like Gregorian chant. Yeah, sure. Even though before that there was different, there was different things before Gregory the Great, um, before uh, different. Who was it? Orders. I think it was Charlemagne who sort of mm. 
institutionalized Gregorian chant throughout the, the empire, the Holy Roman Empire, back at the, really about the first. Uh, it was about one thousand, maybe before yeah, that. I don't know. When, I don't so. know my history and my dates perfectly. Eight hundred, yep. yes. And I figured he was a little bit before that, but even I have some some shadowy <laughs> understandings of history. But for the most part, church music has been more of that sort of sound, and over mm-hmm. over time, it has morphed quite a bit. So Reformation music sounds quite a bit different than that mm-hmm. sort of ancient chant and as music has gone on even hymnody has changed quite a bit you can for me at least i can tell just by hearing a more modern 20th century hymn say like a fanny crosby hymn i could tell the difference right away between a 20th century hymn and a 16th century Mm. hymn or or something like that You, you can begin to see some of these developments and changes that take place as as time goes on uh and so I guess with all of this, we could get into the question of of what are the principles we should abide by when it comes to music styles. Yeah, um, is there is there a biblically prescribed way of <laughs> of doing music? Um, uh, one, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, in response to that, I would say the style should prioritize the words and the singing of the saints. So. Um, hmm. That, that is one thing that I think is very clear throughout Scripture is that God, he does call us to use instruments in music as we worship him. That's totally well, At least that's the argument we would make. That's the, some yeah, people would, some, some would, would disagree. disagree but I, Psalm 150 is just absolutely clear that we should praise God with um, all mm-hmm. these various instruments, and that's a good thing. Uh, music is a gift from God, and so to be creative with it is to delight in our being made in the image of God. Hmm. God who is creative made us to be creative and we can be creative with the use of instruments. However, um, I'm very convinced that the primary noise of worship should be the voices of the saints. Amen. So that comes from Revelation 4 and 5 where there's there's actually no reference to musical instruments and there is um, mm-hmm. all reference to the, the song of the saints that that we sing before the throne and hmm. that's not just in revelation 4 and 5 but really there are many songs all throughout the book of revelation and um and even in the psalms themselves the final verse of the psalms calls out says let everything that has breath praise the lord and so yeah. uh, after this list of musical instruments we have let everything that has breath praise the lord and so um hmm. there we see the call not to just make noise um it's kind of outside of ourselves, but to make noise that comes from within our own selves, with our own voices. Yeah, to add our voices to the chorus of praise. Right, and so I would say any musical style that's going to elevate the the songs of the saints with mm-hmm. our that we're using our voices to uh, to give God praise. Um, that that would be a good style of, of worship. Um, yeah, so singability then yes. and the uh, sort of accessibility to everyone. Yeah, I can't remember where, but I do remember reading in the Institutes, in Calvin's Institutes at one point, he's talking about music in church. Hmm. And he it's sort of an offhand comment, if I remember correctly. I, I'm Now that I've heard you say that, I'm thinking back about this, so I don't have a quote here in front of me or anything. Uh, but 
he's talking about chant and he's actually reflecting on some of Augustine's thoughts on music and mm-hmm. how music should be done in church. And Calvin's emphasis is on keeping the, the melody pretty flat and not letting it go all over the place mm-hmm. up and down because he wants the simplicity to be, to make it easier to sing and to put the focus really on the content of the, of the music more so than on the the beauty of of the music and mm. I, I would disagree a little bit with where he's going with that but i think he highlights correctly the need for the music to be to be singable by all that's yeah. one of the great principles of of church music i think that we should think to abide by i think one of the problems here is that we've turned music into such a professionalized thing we've gotten to a place in our culture with music in regards to music where it has become such a consumeristic uh, thing that we can consume, be entertained by. We have Spotify on our phones. We can listen to any music that we want Mm. at any given time of the day. Um, And so this is really largely meant that there is a sort of elite class of musicians now and all the rest of us just consume music. Whereas if you rewind, not even that far in human history, if you wanted to hear music, we'll say 200 years ago, you either had to go somewhere where there, where there was going to be music being played, or you just had to do it yourself. Yeah. You had to sing it yourself. You had to grab an instrument and start playing yourself. If your family wanted to hear music, you would have to sing with your family sure. and play instruments with your family in order to create music, uh, bef- especially before recording devices and b- before amplification technology music was much more of a communal thing and not something that was the sole practice of the professional. Uh, And this has really changed in some serious ways how music is even approached from churches today in our Mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not so much seen as a communal thing. It's more so seen as something that we join with the leader from the front. Or even worse, we consume it. Yeah, and so it has become more of a consumeristic thing. So one of the interesting things looking at the Protestant Reformation was that they wanted to restore the liturgy to the people. They they did not want to do the liturgy and all the singing and all the scripture reading in Latin. Mm. They wanted to put it into the the vernacular of the people, the, the, the common language of the common person. And so all of the music began to be written in the languages of those who were participating in the worship. So if you were in Germany, you were now going to be listening to to scripture in German and you're going to be singing in German mm-hmm. and if you were in in the Netherlands you'd be listening to it in Dutch and singing in Dutch uh, but now we've gotten to a place where worship is actually ironically in, in many modern evangelical churches more like the the, the late medieval mm-hmm. Roman Catholic Church where Worship was not something you participated in, but something more that you were a spectator to. That's how it is in a lot of yeah. a lot of modern evangelical churches. Uh, people are b- become sort of spectators. Sometimes the, and we've all been there, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, I at least can think of churches I've been to where the music is so loud, yeah. you can't hear yourself, you can't hear the congregation, you can only hear... Uh, the, the one or two or three leaders from the f- front and all of the music that they're producing that's coming through the sound system. Yeah. And it totally takes out the place of the participation of the saints who are gathered to sing. And that communicates something very, very powerful that I don't think 
many worship leaders are considering, and here's what it communicates. Hmm. What you need right now is to hear us singing. Yeah. You do not need to hear your wife singing. <laughs> you do not need to, your kids do not need to hear your voice. They need to hear our voice. And they need to, now, that is putting it very bluntly. Yeah, it's vicarious worship. But <laughs> but it is what is happening um, when the music is so loud. Um, there's an anonymity that is attractive to a lot of people when the music is loud because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the polls and the studies show that people don't feel very comfortable with their own singing voices. And so if we drown them out, mm-hmm. then they will feel more comfortable in worship. That's the logic that a lot of these churches follow. Again, that's the logic that my um, Christian Reformed home church in Illinois followed by cranking the music up more and more and more mm-hmm. because it supposedly makes people feel more welcome when they could sing without being heard by other people. Yeah. But again, that just reveals the professionalization of the yeah. uh, of the of the whole musical uh, part of worship. Um, it's telling them that's a good impulse because you're not a good singer. And so your voice does need to get covered up because Mm -hmm. nobody wants to hear that. And a great (laughs) irony is that if they're doing it to make somebody feel more comfortable singing, they're still isolating individuals from one another. Yeah. Right. If you can't hear yourself or even others singing, no matter how loud you're singing, because you feel comfortable to sing loudly because nobody can hear you. It still becomes a very individualistic experience. Yep. Uh, yep. You can even More hear this in the lyrics of some 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 modern worship songs, right? It's just you and me here now. It's <laughs> only you and me here. No, it's not just me and God here now. It's right. me with all of God's people and God. It's <laughs> the covenant people worshiping at the throne of God, uh, and so we need to really break out of that. It's just an, an it's just my little worship moment that I get to have because the music is so loud that I can't hear anything else. We should very emphatically be, be careful to, to take note of the singing of the Mm. saints. God indwells the singing of the saints and music is not a consumeristic thing that we are supposed to just be entertained by or to have our affections moved by, although that is important, but it is something through which we participate in giving God a sacrifice of praise. We do it together, even if it doesn't always sound great. We do it mm. together. Well, and and along those lines, my a lot of my favorite moments in worship in church are a cappella singing. Yeah, and so that is so powerful to join with other people in singing. Oh. It's a lot like the profession of a creed, where you're hearing your own voice say these true things about. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what happens in a cappella singing as well. And I would say in well-led musical worship is <clears throat> to hear one another is partly, is that's one of the things we need in worship. We're not just there to give praise to God, but we're also there to be encouraged by the voices of other people around us who mm-hmm. are singing alongside us. And and when you, re- this gets even better too, when your church is not an, an a gathering of anonymous individuals but your church is really a congregation a flock that is together and knows one another so if you know the person two rows behind you just lost their job and they're singing with their whole heart um praise god from whom all blessings flow Mm -hmm. that's a powerful moment of worship that you are being encouraged and hey i can i can trust god too because so and so just 
uh, we had this um, several months ago. Uh, one of our praise leaders had he's a oh, construction yeah. worker, and he had all he had some of his um, his trucks stolen. His Not equipment. just trucks; his equipment was stolen. And he was leading worship the following Sunday. I think it was about a, what hundred thousand oh, dollars worth. Yeah, it was a, around hundred thousand dollars worth worth of equipment that was stolen, and it was used, and so it was out of warranty and all that. It was a pretty complicated situation. And there he was worshiping, and we all knew him. We, we all knew, knew his situation. <laughs> he was leading us in worship, and was it a pretty simple service? Yes, it was, but it was beautiful and powerful, and yeah. we neither of us have forgotten it. We, no, we yeah, learned something. I still remember it. We learned something there about about worship, and particularly the musical portion of worship that he was leading and saying, um, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed yeah. be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Was was basically his. And uh, if it was just you and me here, God, on that day, uh, it wouldn't have been as rich. Yeah. Uh, but it was a blessing to be surrounded by the saints and to be surrounded by him in particular. That in real particular. scenarios, I think that yeah. when we really know each other too, it's not just an abstract thing that we're doing and we're going to sing now because I guess somebody thinks that a long time ago churches should sing. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, we're going to worship God as a community and alongside one another in our church right now we're grieving um, one of our beloved pastors Pastor mm-hmm. Phil has just passed has passed away recently and so that impacts our singing and um, mm-hmm. when we can worship God through song um, in praise maybe also with some serious songs mm-hmm. um, that helps us connect to God that's that's part of what we do communally as a church so mm-hmm. those are some of the the under underlying things uh that are are happening i think when we when we sing it's quite complicated actually to think of all the psychosocial um connections that are happening during the singing portion of a worship service but it's actually kind of cool when you dig deeper yeah that sort of leads into another question we might dig into a little bit too for thinking about the social uh formation the community Mm -hmm. formation that takes place Mm -hmm. we can begin to wrestle with the question that is often asked sometimes it's even mocked though uh does the form of the music music matter does the does Mm. the genre the style the aesthetics of the music do those matter at all or can we have death metal christian music on a sunday morning yeah Uh, can we use hip-hop i've i've had friends argue that certain churches and certain contexts could potentially use hip-hop as a form of communal worship on a sunday morning during the service well and you start to see um like with for example the hip-hop example um maybe a special music but then congregationally i don't know how a church would participate in mm-hmm. in, a, in that song in the words in the recitation of the words corporately yeah. and so um if that's a main priority is congregational participation then mm-hmm. <clears throat> that is going to start to limit certain genres uh when i was at calvin seminary we had a a really great opportunity to um, sit in on a little symposium on this very topic with the Gettys. So Keith and Kristen Getty were there, and they had an amazing point about musical genre. They said hymns are melody-driven and praise songs are generally rhythm-driven. So um, when you think of a hymn, like one of my favorite hymns I'll say later is Joy to the World, everybody knows the melody you don't think of the rhythm of joy to the world. Yeah. You think of joy to the world. 
and mm-hmm. and uh, that's oh come all you faithful or you know uh, the doxology those are melody driven songs and so I would suggest actually that just about anybody can learn a melody but um, there are going to be those people who struggle with rhythm um, especially in our own context uh, a lot of <laughs> Dutch people and of Dutch background who are not maybe the most rhythmically gifted people <laughs> and so that should influence the type of songs we pick for worship because a praise if it's all praise songs that are rhythm driven this sounds strange to young people who listen to popular music all the time but older people actually can't sing those songs because mm-hmm. they can't catch the rhythm they they can't quite pick up on when to come in and they don't have the feel for popular music which is what influences praise songs like young people do mm-hmm. so um, if the goal is to get complete congregational participation um, that is why here at Almond Valley we do lean a little bit more towards hymns because they are at least singable by the broader church community yeah and that points to a theological truth for us is that we see uh, salvation not only as an individualistic thing Mm -hmm. we're not just individuals little monads on our way to salvation but we are individuals that are a part of a corporate body Mm mm-hmm and so it's very important that we understand ourselves as within the covenant community of God's people. And that can happen through our worship. And so when when contemporary Christian worship can become, I think, problematic is when it, it negates or deteriorates those communal ties of yeah, God's people. Absolutely. And turns it into an individualistic enterprise on a Sunday morning. Uh, and so I think form does matter. Form form matters a lot. Genre matters a lot. And so I, I don't take the side that rap can really be used in a worship service. Um, I also think of, you know, what if some new person stumbles into your church on a Sunday morning? Uh, not that you want to cater everything to the outsider in particular, but if if somebody came into your church on a Sunday morning and everybody's singing rap, that would be pretty difficult to, to get in into it and to follow along. Um, Hmm. Now that isn't to say that some music will be more difficult for some people to Mm -hmm. come into it. So it's not a perfect test. Um, Yeah. There's a certain amount of learning that happens in worship. Like um, I attended a Missouri Synod Lutheran K through eight school where they chant, they chanted during some of their, worship Mm -hmm. services and so the first 10 times you hear that you have no idea how to participate yeah but you do learn um Mm -hmm. over time how to participate after the priest chants his alleluia you know you'll know what to say Mm -hmm. there's also something to be said here too when we tie our music style at a church to any one genre of music too much we tie ourselves to a sort a sort of person too much Mm. If if our if we're doing to use the example of we'll say death metal if we're a death metal church <laughs> yeah we're excluding very much anybody who doesn't like death metal yeah um, and so this has often made me sort of think that maybe we should give primacy not to any particular genre on offer from our world today but maybe there should be a primacy of the church's historic sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, that we're not we're not favoring rap, we're not favoring rock, we're not favoring metal or pop 
or things like that, but we should give sort of primacy to how has the church sounded through the centuries? Um, This sort of reveals my cards a little bit. (laughs) If we were to sort of say, what are the movements going on in church music right now? We could say that there's, there's a movement towards uh, progressively contemporary music. It's Mm -hmm. just on on and on and on. It's just more and more continuously contemporary, hip, cool, Pop. pop, And so this is, you know, sort of the, it's often called the sort of worship machine <laughs> of, and you could think of some, some big, you know, big famous bands or groups. Hillsong is one that's con- constantly sort of like yeah. on the cutting edge. Uh, and then there, there is a movement of retrieval, I would say, not only in theology, which I see a lot of, but also with music. And so like the modern hymns movement would be a good example. There's a, there's a desire amongst a lot of evangelicals to return to some of the great hymns of the past few hundred years and to sometimes revitalize them musically but to make use of their their melodies and their rich lyrics Um, and i i think that that's a positive movement i would sort of take this take that that side a little bit more Um, and i I love music from all centuries and from all places I, i i really appreciate historic music I've found myself listening to Russian Orthodox music or even Middle Eastern chant mm. and Syriac and Aramaic. Um, I love listening to African worship. I think that that's very fascinating. And so when I think of, of what style is best, you know, honestly, I don't have all the answers to that, but something tells me, my intuition sort of tells me, we should listen to historic music and seek to make the most of it in our own time. Maybe mm. develop it in, in new ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think we should just try to go back and recover music from any particular golden age. There is no golden age. But we should we should listen to it and faithful faithfully, I think, try to apply it in our own day and age. So you're not suggesting we should bring out a lute and a lyre? Um, no, I'm not. <laughs> <You'll> <laughs> I don't think that would be very helpful for anyone. The song will conclude with a great huzzah from the whole congregation. <laughs> no. Um, well, I, along those lines, I, I was just talking about this with somebody who was not a part of our church, and he was asking about musical style of our mm-hmm. church, and... Um, he perceived that we were a more uh, traditional in, mm-hmm. you know, we have an organ and we use organ piano and those are kind of the driving instruments in a lot of ways of our mm-hmm. music. And so he wondered, well, would you be okay with an electric guitar up there, up mm-hmm. in the front or some drums? And I said, absolutely, I would. If that is available, if somebody has that gifting in our church, then we should encourage them to use that that gift to help us sing to god mm-hmm. that we don't have that that person um yeah. we, we do have a very good electric guitar player but um he's the only one that i know of in our church and so he plays an acoustic guitar mm-hmm. or an electric bass and um if we had six or seven really gifted musicians who were able to do that then we should employ that uh in our own church and we should do that to the best of our ability and I think that you could still do that, meeting a lot of those theological mm-hmm. criteria that you just mentioned of uh, recapturing maybe some of the lost songs of the past and incorporating mm-hmm. them into our context today. Um, that that goes for <laughs> churches who want to be really contemporary and who just don't have those people. Well, maybe mm-hmm. they should just be content with what they have. But it also is true 
again, of our church where we have one organist. And so mm-hmm. um, for somebody to approach our own church and say, we got to have the organ every week, uh, well, we have one organist, and that's sort of a reality for us right mm-hmm. now. We, we don't live in a dream world. We live in a real world yeah. where we don't have six organists who can play, and um, it takes a lot of time to get ready to play the mm-hmm. organ in worship. I know our organist, Cliff, spends a lot of time getting ready for each of those services, so yeah. we, we've got to be realistic there mm-hmm. about um, his time and um, the gifting of the people of our church. So that was kind of my answer to this person is that if a church has seven organists and no electric guitar players, then they should probably worship with organ. Mm-hmm. If they have very gifted uh, drummers and guitar players and and lead worship in that sure. way, then they should do it. They should do this well, um, really being driven more by a desire to worship than by popular culture. Um, but that's mm-hmm. just what they have. That's what the Lord has provided, and so that's what they should use. Yeah, there's definitely, you should have like a long-term view. Yeah. And there's not any instant solution to anything. Um, I've never been to a church that was perfect, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think I ever will be, and that's okay. Uh, and we're all going to, we all do d- have different tastes, that's for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Well, and to, to jump off that, it's yeah. really... Uh, conference culture has massively impacted this conversation. Yeah. So you can pick the conference who you think has the perfect music, Mm -hmm. and it's very inspirational to go there. Uh, For example, I really, I like piano-led worship, simple, Mm -hmm. simplicity It matters a lot to me, and so I went to Together for the Gospel, where it was Bob Coughlin, a great mm-hmm. musician, yeah, definitely. Uh, on the piano at the center of the stadium with 6,000 men all around, and it's just piano led by a master musician and voices. And mm. so for me, that's great. Yeah. But what would the problem, the problem would be if I came back and said, that's just what we need. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do have very gifted pianists at, at yeah. our church, but um, they, they don't play exactly like Bob Coughlin did. <laughs> And um, mm-hmm. that's okay, and I should be really content with that. The, the problem really arises when people go to the conference and they get jazzed and energized through very traditional worship mm-hmm. or very contemporary worship. Or if it's like a choir of the fire or Exactly. Like they that. come back and they're like, we're ready to rock now. Yeah, let's and do it. If it's anything less, then it's not good. Yeah. You know, um, I, I return to contentment, this theme yeah. of contentment in being led in worship and being satisfied with what the Lord provided on a Sunday, N- mm-hmm. not to do so without any kind of critical ear because some music is better than others. Yeah. Um, it is good to have people who are skilled, but uh, contentment is probably more what we need than change in a lot of cases. Yeah, and if we go back to thinking about what music is for in a worship service mm-hmm. in the liturgy, it's not to be entertained, and that should help us to just appreciate what offering of music that our church or any given church is able to to give. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it can be a humble offering of, of praise to God. It doesn't have to sound professional. It doesn't have to sound super polished, and that's okay. It's kind of nice sometimes when it doesn't to me. Oh, yeah. Like, I've I, been I away to those way. conferences and come back yeah, and just been so appreciative. I, I, I went to, and I will unname it. I will not leave it unnamed. <laughs> uh, it was a youth worship youth workers youth Uh leaders uh thing conference a few years ago and of course the music was top notch 
stellar. It was a loud band. Um, there was five or six thousand youth leaders there that weekend. So the music had to be very, very loud for everybody in the whole conference to hear it. And the whole time I just kept thinking, I can't wait to go back to Ammon Valley. <laughs> I just can't wait to go back to the simplicity and to the, the, the humility and the more quiet reverence, I guess I would have, I would have said, mm. uh, it, it, is our music as well polished or as, you know, perfect sounding? No way. That's not a criticism of those who, who lead worship at our church at all. Mm. But I, I feel the heart of it very, very much. And I, I love it. I love that it's in our church context. It's, it's a rotation of, of mm-hmm. people. There's not any sort of professional or leader or mm-hmm. staff person. Although that's been something we've been discerning and yeah, thought about that thought, thinking about over the last few years. Um, but there's something that I, I genuinely love about the simplicity of our of our worship. Yeah, it is lay led, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you, we know them as well. I think that that yeah. is really key. Uh, when worship leadership is professionalized, then it doesn't really matter if you know them as much. Hmm. Um, you, like we give the example of uh, the the man in our church whose equipment was stolen. We all knew him, and then we were led in worship by him in that on that very weekend. And, um, that's not like a manufactured powerful experience at all, but Mm -hmm. that's just like a human experience. That's a, a connection that the Lord blessed us with. Uh, that is the communion of the saints. Um, Mm -hmm. that's the fellowship that we enjoy while singing. It's not a product that we're kind of offering up to God and, Mm-hmm. It just has to be perfect and packaged correctly, but it's experiential. It's a blessing not only to God, but to us as well. And I think that that happens a lot more when you know the people who are leading you in worship. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The more you know them, the better, I would say. Mm-hmm. So. so we can maybe get a little bit more on the ground from this point. We've given some sort of thoughts and theory about our perspective on music from sort of theological or pastoral mm-hmm. uh, standpoint. What could we sort of list off as some of some songs that we think well embody what we're trying to get at? That they, they're good examples of, of what music could and should sound like or look like. Um, what, what, what would you say? Mm. Again, this maybe is gonna yeah. re- going to reveal our sort of European-centric... <laughs> Um, knowledge and which is who we are experience. And so I don't like. I, I think yeah. it's great that a black church. Oh yeah, would spirituals sing, are awesome. Would sing um, songs that are uh, in, in line with their traditions, and yeah. that, that's so. It, I don't totally. think we have to self-flagellate here that no. oh we're singing all these songs that were <laughs> written by English, uh, you know mm-hmm. Wesley and Watts and so forth. Um, that's okay, but. And when we say these things, it doesn't mean that these aren't necessarily the best songs, but they're songs that really speak to us and help us. So uh, one that I've worshipped a lot with, both personally uh, and enjoyed in worship lately, is a song, Just As I Am, um, Hmm. about uh, how we come to God um, in total need of God. It's thematically very similar to I Need Thee Every Hour, which is another uh, one of my favorite hymns. Um, But uh, my wife and I were talking about Just As I Am recently, um, I believe we had sung it in church, 
and we were comparing the words to um, some other more modern praise songs, which um, one of my criticisms of praise songs is that the words don't really deep, they don't capture a lot of theological depth. They're not they, as pithy. Even if they're true, they're not as um, deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so there's a sort of a surface level helpfulness to them. Um, and so they're not all bad. It's not necessarily bad doctrine, but they're just not as deep. And so in Just As I Am, there's my favorite part of the song is um, the confession the, that I, fightings and fears within, without. And so that's saying there's all this strife in my life. There's things happening in my own heart and soul. There's things happening outside of me. Uh, I, I was telling Pastor Zach before we recorded this that that's a whole sermon in and of itself. Fightings and fears <laughs> within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. And so it's like there's all this stuff happening in my life, and I come to you, and that is captured in five words, fightings and fears within, without. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only that, but the melody is very beautiful and singable, and um, it really uh, sort of pulls you into worship and, and into singing because of the beauty of the melody. So hmm. Just As I Am is definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, it's it's sort of like the difference between poetry and, and prose. Yeah, uh, some, some songs have the lyrical depth, not just the theological depth, but the the, the, the lyrics themselves, the, the wording, the cadence, uh, the poetry that's, that's contained in them uh, allows for it to really sink very deeply into your mind and into your heart as you think about just the depth of those words, yeah. fightings and fears within, without. That does say so much in so little space. Uh, and that's one of the great values of of some songs over against other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, one song that I've really come to love in the past couple of years is a 17th century hymn called My Song is Love Unknown. This was a song that I was uh, blessed by singing pretty often uh, with my worship leader uh, in in Orlando at the Cathedral Church of St. Luke. Uh, this was... Josh Bales, who is a recording artist, so I went to a church that had a very professional music guy. Uh, He was he was a priest, and so he had pastoral duties um, when he preached. But he was mostly there to to help with worship. That was one of his main main duties, and so his his music was very contemporary in style. It was often a just an acoustic guitar or a piano. and so you can look up his music on on Spotify. I highly recommend it, hmm. Josh Bales. Um, but this song, this rendition of of this song that he has done, which you can find on Spotify as well, is really great and has made me really appreciate uh, the actual song. I had never really hmm. kn- known the actual hymn, so then I've gone back and found it and listened to different choirs singing it. And it's a really great song about the humiliation of Christ and about his atonement. Um, and it makes me cry whenever I, <laughs> I go through and read the lyrics. And it, it really poetically depicts the suffering that Christ endured. And it, it helps you think through the story in a much more personal way. Um, and it takes you to a place where you see the passion of Christ 
in a way that really immediately applies to you and it's it's a beautiful thing and it's a great song and so yeah i love how josh takes an old song and Mm. and makes it more of a contemporary hymn well the song is actually quite popular in the missouri synod circles that i Hmm. grew up in we would sing it pretty regularly even as a second third grader we were singing in chapel yeah Hmm. um so uh, i distinctly recall that uh a, a lot of Zach's and my songs are, are hymns. Yeah. Uh, we could sort of do a speed round here. And I, I, uh, Grace Greater Than Our Sin, that's a little bit more of a modern, um, I think that's a 20th century hymn, I would guess, mm-hmm. by the tune of it. Um, the doxology, obviously, mm-hmm. is a great way to conclude a worship service. And traditionally, that or the Gloria Patri have been mm-hmm. the way of uh, concluding worship on Sunday morning and evening in the Christian Reformed Church, um, that practice is not really employed anymore, to my knowledge, but that was that's how we actually concluded mm-hmm. services when I was a kid. I remembered seeing the doxology mm-hmm. every Sunday at the... I'd at never the, heard the doxology until seminary. I had a class with Ligon Duncan, oh. and after the class stopped, he started singing the doxology, and all he expected all of us to join in, and I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> so I eventually learned it. <laughs> yeah, it's a simple song, and it's Trinitarian, and it's... Mm-hmm. Uh, really helpful and um joy to the world is another one of my favorites so obviously it's it's regarded as a christian song i tell everyone it was not originally written as a christian song um it was a christmas song i'm sorry did i say christian song (laughs) uh obviously it is a (laughs) christian song it's not necessarily a christmas song sure um but uh and i'm gonna i'm gonna leverage that knowledge by chosen it for my sermon this coming Sunday <laughs> evening. We're going to sing Joy to the World after my sermon, nice. and it's uh, it'll be February 14, and we're going to sing Joy to the World in response to Revelation 22, where um, in some of the opening verses it says the curse is undone, and so yeah, um, th- there, there is no more curse. As far as um, the curse is found. And, yeah, and so he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found, and uh, that's uh, one of the... Uh, Again, even there, those lyrics, he comes to make his blessings known far as the curse is found. Okay, well, that's a whole sermon. That's a whole book that is really great lyrical quality um, in a very singable song. So I love Joy to the World. Yeah, some quick fire answers for me would be Rock of Ages Mm -hmm. by Top Lady, a great Calvinist of the English. That's a great great tune as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then a mighty fortress. I love. We sing it a lot, <laughs> and I love it. It's like I, I think my past two within the, like, the the last five times I've preached, I know at least twice I've requested <laughs> that that song has been played. Uh, and then be thou my vision, a great song. I actually think that it dates back to the fourth century in mm. Ireland, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. I could be wrong, but. That makes me love it even more, but mm-hmm. the, the lyrics of that song are, are amazing and very, you could even say, Christian hedonist mm. uh, about enjoying Christ. Uh, I also, so one of a more, a more recent song is Christ is Risen by Matt Mayer. Uh, I love, I love the, the version by City Church San Francisco. Uh, it's If you want to go back and, on Spotify and find it, that's a really good rendition of it. And then... The love of God is another mm-hmm. great, a great hymn, and so a lot of these hymns I've discovered only through 
sort of the modern hymn mm. movement. Uh, so I could think of a lot of a lot of albums I go back to when I am w- wanting to to worship would be Ascend the Hills hymns album. They're not a very well known band anymore. They're not together anymore, but their hymns album was really good. Uh, King's Kaleidoscope, or also mm-hmm. known as King's MHM, now. Uh, they have some really good modern hymns. The Gettys, of course. Um, there was a King's Kaleidoscope song in a Lexus commercial recently. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> I did not know that. Uh, also, Sovereign Grace's music has a lot of good modern hymns as well that I I enjoy. Um, and then I also listen to a lot of like English hymnal playlists on Spotify that I've found. Uh, hmm. So I, I love listening to choral music as well, and especially around the holidays, but really throughout the whole year, uh, and to psalms. There's good psalms playlists I found that maybe that's another thing we could say yeah. is yeah, the psalms. Maybe we should do more psalms <laughs> in in uh, in the church today. Yeah, one person who is pushing for that is the very author of our theme music here on Reform Podmatics, Jonathan Ogden. Hmm, Um, Not the Baltimore Ravens offensive lineman, (laughs) Jonathan Ogden, but Jonathan Ogden, the English um, worship leader. And so uh, he has a band called Rivers and Robots, but he also does Hmm. a lot of solo stuff. I did not know that was him. I've heard of Rivers and Robots, and I've heard of Jonathan Ogden. I did not know the connection. Yeah, so as of about two weeks ago, Rivers and Robots broke up and probably won't Hmm. get together, it sounds like, guys just are doing their own things mm-hmm. but Jonathan Ogden has a great uh, rendition of Psalm 27 um, a really good song called Let Me Not Wander which is based on the words of Psalm 119 um, and so he he really does desire to put the psalms to music um, mm-hmm. Psalm 91 I believe he also has a really good version of that that's awesome and so uh, those words uh, often like in his Psalm 27 this is the great thing about psalmody is that we'll end up singing things that CCM Christian contemporary music does not really get to like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, in, in that Psalm 27 version, he talks about how his head will be lifted up over his enemies. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's not in the, yeah. all these Christian contemporary music, but that's right there in Psalm 27. Um, yeah. The Psalms give a pretty full diet. Of- yeah of what we need, uh, especially in regards to worship. There's joyful exuberance. There's worry. There's concern. There's f- fear, but faithful fear, asking God to help yeah. help you with with what surrounds you, what is encroaching upon you. Uh, there's there's times where you can cry out and lament. There's full, there's, the Psalms are full of those. And so it's not just happy, clappy, let's, mm-hmm. let's get joyful and put a smile on, but the Psalms... If we were to sing the psalms more regularly in our churches, we would have a, a fuller diet of worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and even beyond that, I would say one of the great markers, uh, one of the markers of a good song, would just be that it would be very clear that the author was saturated in the Word of God. Hmm. So mm-hmm. I get that sense very much from somebody like Jonathan Ogden or Sarah Groves, hmm. um, and they will end up writing about things that are more helpful, more practical, more unique and creative than just the bland, homogenous, I love you, God, and you love me so much. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that So the gospel, of course, is necessary to include in song and songs, 
mm-hmm. but there's so much more in the scriptures than just the plain and simple gospel of how Jesus died uh, to remove our sin and how he's risen from the dead and how we have life forever through him. Okay, that's true, mm-hmm. but there's also all these psalms that talk about suffering, and um, mm-hmm. Sarah Groves has a, a really good song about love, and um, it's pretty much right out of 1 Corinthians 13. Mm-hmm. And um, again, that's a, that's a really creative song topic that we don't really hear a whole lot. Uh, hmm. Our um, worship coordinator, Becky, and I will occasionally just be like, there are no songs about this. Like, mm-hmm. so I'll be preaching a sermon and we'll be thinking about hmm. how what how to conclude the service with a song that would really fit. And um, for example, there are very few songs about humility, about just um, hmm. be, being called to be humbled because we are Philippians two called to have the same attitude of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so there's a lot about repentance, but a little bit less about like, send me into the world as a humble servant, God. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of is exalting, but it it could sort of fail to, to meet that uh, beatitudinal spirit that we're called to have as Christians. Mm -hmm. So that's just a little bit of an example, but, um, we do need these creative, musicians to continue searching the scriptures especially the psalms writing songs that call us to uh to worship with the word of god yeah and i say that i i agree with you even as somebody who loves old traditional songs from centuries and centuries even millennia ago i think that we need to add our voices to the great uh multitude of mm-hmm. of worshipers before the throne of god mm-hmm. our generation has something to offer as well Modern music even has something to offer. And I say that as somebody who is uh, dispositionally very traditional when it comes to music and even to theology. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do need creative mm. people to be continuing writing new songs. Uh, but also, I think at the same time, not just always, you know, going out of their way to produce things that are totally new as if there's we can't we can't go back and 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 pull from the past mm. uh we should be trying to con- to harmonize and bring together both ancient and the new mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and i think that that's that's something that has done well in a lot of the musicians we've we've mentioned along the way you also mentioned scripture songs on you said first yeah. Corinthians 13 yeah well, we have a friend re- here we can give a little shout out to eric graff yeah um he's a worship leader at one of our churches here in town not not our church but one of the other ones mm-hmm. uh his his stuff can be found i think on youtube yeah he records uh, it on YouTube. it's graff g-r-a-e-f yeah so eric there's your shout thanks out thanks for listening eric <laughs> thanks for all your encouragement Keep but he has good g- great songs where he takes it's just straight from the Bible. It's it's verses, so it helps you memorize verses. Often it's the ESV, and I think that mm. that's a really cool thing as well. Yeah, and um, maybe one little last criteria that I think is good for evaluating the quality of music is longevity. So mm. um, there was a really good mm. article in the Banner written by a, a man who used to be a, a pastor here in our area, Hal Heemstra, who talked about visiting retirement homes and how in those places they want to sing songs that have lasted they want to sing um 
uh, the doxology and grace greater than our sin and rock of ages and mm-hmm. uh, be thou my vision because and it's more than just a sentimental attachment I, I think that there is a real beauty and a quality to the words and the music of those songs that has lasted through the generations and even with a song like be thou my vision which was one of your favorites mm-hmm. it's so good that it is adaptable to different genres yeah. um like yeah. organ electric guitar um be thou my vision there's a really good version of it by a, a guy I th- he calls his project the hope arsenal and he has mm-hmm. an art uh, an album called hymnology which it has a great version of be thou my vision on it mm-hmm. and it's a little bit more electronic but uh kind of electronic acoustic and so anyways um the, the point being these great songs that will last through the generations are really the ones that we should be singing in church yeah. and teaching our children um <laughs> we live through once again putting coming full circle an era in church history where the songs were not great and they have not lasted um a handful a very small handful have lasted in christ alone has lasted because it's a great song um and maybe a few others lord i lift your name on high here i am to worship has <laughs> lasted uh but yeah lord i lift your name on high shout to the north these songs um, sort of are like memes they're just kind of cheesy yeah and uh, uh and so did they help people worship in spirit and in truth i believe they did mm-hmm. however they were not as good as uh, some of the great yeah. hymns of past centuries. Yeah, and there's so, not a timeless quality to them. Yeah, there's, they're not going to be requested, I don't think, when we're all when we're in old folks' homes, um, mm-hmm. in probably about what forty years or so uh, for mm-hmm. for me. Uh, I, I'm probably going to want to hear Rock of Ages and the Doxology. Hmm. So why not incorporate that into our worship life already? Um, yeah. There, there's value in singing what is truly beautiful and good and will stand the test of time. Yeah, the, the rate current things are going with contemporary music, if a song is over like six months old, it's, it's, it's old news. Yeah, Oceans would on. be an example. And you never hear Oceans And so by anymore. the time yeah. 10 years go by and you hear a song from 10 years ago, it sounds old. And it's kind of like a joke to be singing an old song that's, that's from yeah. that, that time period. And so, yeah, if we, if we get to the point where we're in our in nursing homes and we want to hear the old, the old songs that have grounded us, that have that have uh, invited us to worship that has that have pushed our our affections towards God for throughout the course of our lives we're going to be having to learn new songs hmm. but we won't have had that richness of that experience of singing these songs again and again and again and in our world it sounds even silly to say that that we would want to sing old songs hmm. yeah. but there's something very very beautiful about getting to that point in your life where you can sing a song and you've sung it again and again and again but it still has new meaning and new riches for you to find yeah Uh, that's that's a really good thought yeah so that isn't to say you can't listen to modern contemporary music in your own life and be blessed by it but really this conversation has been more about church music um, songs that will call the body of christ into worship together and so uh, what are some of your favorite songs you might Put that uh, in the comments on the um, Facebook page, yeah, uh, or uh, we'd love to hear. Uh, didn't get a lot of response to our favorite scripture text question, but we're going to keep posing <laughs> that these kinds of questions so that we can get more engagement. It really it does help us spread the word about mm-hmm. um, 
Reform Podmatics, when people respond, uh, Facebook has algorithms that show that it's going to elevate that post in other people's feeds. And so um, give us a little thought or a thumbs up or uh, spread the word about Reform Podmatics, and hopefully we can keep the project going and it will be a blessing to you. All right, guys. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.